0: One of the privileges I've had of serving in churches, the church here, uh, neighbors to IU, and my last church was uh, in the shadow of Yale University, is that I've, I've had this privilege most of my adult life of serving in churches with some people who are just uh, incredibly creative and talented, brilliant people, uh, some of them even world-renowned in their fields of expertise. Uh, I must admit that sometimes that's been a little intimidating to know there are people out there who know so much about various things, but it's also been a real gift. It's been a real gift in the sense that uh, I, I get to learn from a lot of these people. I, I get to benefit from their knowledge often. It's also been a, a gift in the sense that I get to serve alongside them in the church with these many gifted, talented, creative people and. I get to benefit from their ministry um, as I serve with them. But one of the other gifts that I've received by serving with a lot of people who honestly just um, are are so competent in some areas and so talented, often so intelligent, is it's helped wipe away this foolish belief that I have a tendency to cling to, that somehow you could get educated enough or be competent enough or be talented enough that somehow it gets you out of the messiness of this world that somehow you you rise above it and now you can handle everything and if there's one thing I've I've learned uh, through my life in ministry is that I don't care who you are I don't care what gifts you have what talents you have how bright you are Um, this world is going to throw things at you that are beyond you that you don't know how to handle it's true of every single one of us one thing that i have found regularly is that i feel in over my head uh, i feel in over my head I've, i have felt it many times as a father i have felt it as a husband i feel it as a human being sometimes just in over my head and i have absolutely felt in over my head as a pastor when i sit with people offering pastoral counsel every time i teach and preach i feel in over my head uh, i feel in over my head sometimes even when i sit on a committee with others it's It just feels sometimes like more is needed and more is being asked of me than I could ever provide, that I have the resources to give. Uh, I imagine that was somewhat the feeling that the disciples were having in the story that you heard Bob read a few moments ago, That, that in this situation that they were facing where what they had done wasn't working, I'm sure, again, they felt in over their head. If you look back at Mark 6, just a few chapters earlier, you see that Jesus um, broke all the disciples up into teams of two, and he says he gave them authority to drive out demons, to, to heal people of their illnesses, even to raise the dead. And then you look a little further in that chapter, in 6.13, and it says they were doing just that. They were driving out evil spirits. They were healing people's illnesses. Uh, they were doing these miraculous things because God had given them the authority to do just that. But now they face this situation where where Jesus has gone up in the mountain. Uh, and he's gone up the mountain with James and Peter and John, three of the leaders among the disciples. And he's gone up into the mountain where they've experienced Jesus' transfiguration. And while they're gone, the rest of the disciples uh, have this situation where a father's come to them and brought his son and asked them if they could heal his son and drive this evil spirit out of of his son. And we're told about this boy that uh, this was this father's only child and that this son had been dealing with this struggle with evil his entire life. Um, that many times the symptoms that, that this evil spirit would bring into his body were things like foaming at the mouth gnashing his teeth becoming rigid having convulsions all these epilepsy like symptoms but in this case it was caused by this evil spirit even told that he would try to kill this boy by throwing him into fire and causing him to drown I mean imagine this father who has had to watch his son struggle under this burden under the influences of this evil all his life imagine the desperation of this father and the pain of this father as he watches his son go through this and then he hears about this group of people and this teacher jesus who are driving out evil spirits who are healing people of their illnesses imagine how how desperate he was to get his son before them and have his son heal and then this father and this son is before these disciples And they're trying to do what they have done before, what has worked before. And now suddenly it doesn't work. They're unable to cast out their evil spirit. They're unable to relieve the boy of these horrible symptoms that he's dealing with. And and on top of that, this is all being done in front of an audience. We're told there's a large crowd there. And there were even teachers of the law who I'm sure were just reveling in the disciples' inability to heal this boy. All of this is happening, but not only that, they have this father in front of them. This father who, who, I can't imagine these disciples looking at this boy and looking at this father and not wanting to do everything they possibly could to do what they've done before. To free the boy of this horrible, ugly burden uh, of this evil spirit's effect on his life. And then Jesus comes down the mountain as all this is going on. For some reason they're arguing. We're not really told what they're arguing about, but they're arguing. And Jesus comes down uh, the mountain with James, Peter, and John. And sees what's going on and then we hear these words you unbelieving generation how long shall i stay with you how long shall i put up with you bring the boy to me uh, some have said that they don't think the disciples are included in that phrase uh, unbelieving generation they say that because mark has used that phrase five other times and in none of those cases is he including the disciples but i don't see any reason here to exclude them It seems to me that everybody that he's speaking to or most people he's speaking to in that moment are people who 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 at times believe and people who at times do not um the the crowd we're told when they saw jesus was overwhelmed with wonder this father he believed enough to bring his son to jesus to want to see jesus healing and the disciples i think are trying to do everything they can to help they're trying to do what they've done before and what they've told they should do they're trying to do the right thing all of them except maybe the teachers in the law of the law all of them are people that to some level have have faith have belief in Jesus at least they all believe in Jesus when he's standing right there with them they all believe in Jesus when they can see him and hear him and touch him they all believe in Jesus when they're experiencing his presence and his power through miraculous signs like healing, like driving out evil spirits. In those moments, they all believe. But right now, it seems like they're struggling with that, especially as disciples. And I think Jesus is saying to them, what will happen when I'm not with you? What will happen when I return to be with my Father? Then will you believe? What happens when you run into these obstacles where what you've done and what you believe should happen and will happen doesn't now will you believe when when everything doesn't go according to plan when everything doesn't happen the way you expected god to act then will you believe and it seems like in that moment his disciples turned away from belief turned to unbelief turned to putting faith or belief maybe into themselves or into some formula or into something else well, the disciples, the story goes on, do ask Jesus why they weren't able to drive out these evil spirits. And Jesus gives them two reasons, one of them provided here by Mark and the other provided by Matthew when he's describing the same event. Mark says this kind can come out only by prayer. And then Matthew says in Matthew 17:20, because you have so little faith, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. There's a lot of debate about what that phrase, so little faith, means. So little faith, does it mean it's not passionate enough? It's not big enough, intense enough? Does it mean it's not pure enough, that maybe there's some doubts that have creeped in there? Does it mean it's faith that um, is so inconsistent it it doesn't stay focused on that which truly is deserving of your faith. What does it mean? The one thing I do think Jesus is saying here is in both of those statements that you, you, this one needs prayer. And you've had so little faith in both, he's saying. The, the power and the authority over evil to defeat evil, to defeat disease and death, it's not located in you. It's located in God. And when things were not working that's where you look you look in faith to back to god you look in your prayer back to god that's where you should be directing your attention now i know some passages like this have been taken by people and they've been used to to teach that that healing that these miraculous works that they depend upon the intensity of your faith and the purity of your faith your faith has to be bigger more passionate or or there again never has to be a doubt that can creep in that that's the kind of faith that will accomplish these great things but that's an odd thing to teach because right in this passage Jesus says that faith is small as a mustard seed the very smallest seed they knew faith that small is enough faith that is sufficient to do these remarkable unbelievable miraculous things Um, so I don't think he's saying here it's just need more passionate faith saying something else i love quotes and i think new testament scholar michael wilkins in a quote sum this issue up pretty well he said faith is not a particular substance the more of which the disciples have the more they can accomplish it's not a gift of magic that can be manipulated at will rather faith is confidence that we can do what god calls us to do and I love this phrase, it's taking God at his word. Faith, it's belief, it's taking God at his word. It's, it's believing. What God says is true. What God says he has done and can do and will do is true, and I believe it. Uh, I think I've told the story before. When I was a youth pastor in a previous church, I had a girl that was attending my youth group that she um, suffered from cystic fibrosis and she was at a stage of that that it was pretty severe I mean it was just devastating what this horrible disease was doing to her body and the effect it was having upon her life her, her mom, she was raised by a single mom, and her mom didn't attend our church but uh, one day I went to visit with her mom and to pray with her and just to talk with her about how I could be a help to their family and in talking with this mom it became clear just how desperate she was to see her daughter healed and how horrible it was to watch her daughter suffer under the weight of this disease as, as it would be for any mother and one of the things that she had begun doing and she'd been doing for over a year by the time I went to see her she had been regularly taking her daughter to healing services by a local televangelist it was in our area named Ernest Angeli she would take her daughter there regularly to be healed and she had come to be- believe, and I think in many ways, through what she was being taught, she'd come to believe that the reason her daughter wasn't being healed was because she was allowing doubts to creep in, because she hadn't had strong enough faith. And so these mothers, I talked with her, you could just see how terrified she was to let even the slightest doubt come into her mind that God may not heal her daughter. She was terrified of being the cause of her daughter not being healed because she had somehow allowed the doubt to come in. What was clear was the only way that she could do that was to pretend she wasn't doubting, was to deny the doubts because doubts came in. Like every human being, she had them. So, so she was stuck in this trap of just constantly having to pretend and, and deny and hide from reality because she so did not want to be responsible for her daughter continuing to suffer under the weight of this disease. And as I talked to her, one of the things I talked to her about was this passage and others, and saying that it's interesting how, how God responds many times to people with, with small faith, with imperfect faith, how responsive he is to people whose belief was not perfect, was not pure, wasn't even constant. And yet he responded. Um, and encouraging her to let go of that burden of guilt and understand absolutely go to God absolutely pray for your daughter's healing but let's make sure your faith is in the right thing I don't want your faith to be in your faith I want your faith to be in God he's the one where the power and the authority over that disease lies but also I want your faith to be in what God has said is true and God has not promised that in every single case he will heal not until that day when jesus comes back and sets all things right there are times when absolutely miraculous healing happens but not in every single case so uncertainty about that that's that's not some sin on your part um because it because again i think this mother had faith i think she believed but like the rest of us sometimes she didn't believe but you know in this story what I love is that there seems to be two examples one is the disciples they seem in some ways to be the negative example in this story those who in this case when they ran into an obstacle didn't believe and the more positive example actually seems to be the father of the son but even when you look at the father of the son his faith wasn't pure and constant mark chapter 9 verse 22 the father says to Jesus if you can do anything take pity on us and help us And Jesus responds, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, it says, the father exclaimed. That word "exclaim" could also accurately be translated, he shrieked. Immediately. Can you imagine that, Father? Jesus, heal my son, if you can. And Jesus says, if you can, and and I can just imagine, oh, no, oh, no, I said something wrong. No, I, I, I do believe. God, help me with my unbelief. I also don't believe I do and I don't and man, both are so often true of me God please help me what I love in the father's example he's just honest is honest he does believe and he, and he needs help with his unbelief but what he doesn't do is turn anywhere else he turns back to Jesus Jesus I need you to heal my son Jesus I even need you to give me belief because I need you I'm absolutely dependent upon you and what I love in this story is Jesus healed his son Jesus freed his son of that horrible burden without God's help I think all of us are in over our heads we have no hope of conquering evil we have no hope of truly defeating disease and death we have no hope of faith even as small as a mustard seed apart from God We are absolutely dependent people and i think the center of this story it is a story that's telling us uh, again and again keep looking back to god believe don't don't every time something doesn't go according to plan or every time something's confusing or you don't understand don't suddenly look elsewhere for what only god can provide don't look to self-reliance don't look to others to provide what only God can provide. Keep turning back to him. One more quote, this one from theologian Alistair McGrath. He says this, The efficacy, the effectiveness of faith, does not rest upon the intensity with which we believe, but in the reliability of the one in whom we believe. It is pointless to trust passionately in someone who is not worthy of trust, even a modicum of faith in someone who is totally reliable is vastly preferred. Keep turning back to the only one who truly has the authority and the power that we depend upon. Keep turning back to the only one who really can resolve so many of these obstacles that we face. When we are truly in over our head, look to the one who has the power to save and to rescue and to provide and to sustain. Don't give up and look at someplace else. I am starting to understand that when I have that feeling that I'm in over my head, whether it's as a pastor, a father, or counselor, or whatever it is, that sometimes what I need to do is actually stop and listen to that feeling a little bit. Sometimes what I need to do is stop and say, Yes, I am in over my head. This is too much for me. And I need to look beyond myself, and I need to look beyond other people, and I need to look beyond all those little things I feel in control of. And I need to look to the one who truly does have authority and power over everything. We are in over our heads. Now, we're not helpless. It's not that we have no abilities or resources. God has given those and calls us to be responsible with them. But every single one of us is deeply and utterly dependent upon God. There are things that we absolutely need, we cannot provide for ourselves. And I think sometimes those in over our head feelings are our opportunities to remember that and to hold on to that more tightly. We absolutely are dependent upon God. The good news is God's with us. We're not alone. He absolutely cares about about us. We're not alone, uh, but we, we do sometimes make a mess of things when we act as if we are. And it's that opportunity to remember We're not. The God we depend upon is here for us. So two really quick points of application, and these seem probably pretty obvious, but I'm going to say them anyways. Uh, One is, I think we should expect unbelief. I think we should expect, yes, that's going to be a battle and a struggle for us, all of us. Um, It is always right there just around the corner waiting to creep back in, isn't it? I believe, and man, in a moment, I let go of that belief and I turn someplace else. I give up on God, and I trust in myself, or I trust in something else that I feel more in control of. We to expect it, to know that that's always a danger that's working. And in those moments when we, when we hit those obstacles, we have that in-over-our-head feeling, we ought to remind ourselves, wait a minute. Yeah, I'm letting go of belief again. I'm turning away from the one who truly is worthy of my faith. And we ought to confess it, We ought to own it, not hide from it or run from it. Uh, And we ought to go back like that father to God and say, God, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. And second, we ought to pray. Again, seems like such an obvious, the Christian answer. Pray. But like the disciples, I think that's so seldom where we turn when we feel in over our heads. That just doesn't feel certain enough. It doesn't feel active enough. It doesn't feel manageable enough. When I pray, it really is just saying, God, I'm helpless. And it's owning that helpless state. I need you. And I hate that helpless feeling. So, so a lot of times, even though prayer is so obvious, it's just not where we turn. We try everything else. When everything is kind of yelling at us in our life, you can't do this. You really are in over your head. Look to God turn to him because to tell you the truth even though prayer sometimes seems too slow or not active enough the reality is we're turning the one whose actions whose activity is what's needed there is nowhere else to turn so pray and I imagine that the place of prayer in our life is probably a pretty good indicator of how much we do trust and how often we do trust I think it would be wonderful if every single one of us had perfect intense consistent faith in God but we all know that that's um that's just not true right now we all do know that no that's that's not the faith we have but what i love in the story what i find so encouraging in the story is jesus didn't give up on them he he healed that boy that father's son he responded to his imperfect faith and he healed that boy's son and he didn't turn away from his disciples he didn't stop teaching them and helping them mature and using them as his ambassadors to this world. He continued to do that despite their their doubts and their sometimes weak faith and sometimes inconsistent faith. He continued to use them. We have a God who calls us absolutely to turn to him and to believe. To put our faith in him. That how wonderful that we have a God. That even in our imperfect faith still responds to us even by giving us more faith let's join king david in proclaiming often uh, what he said in one of the psalms the lord is my rock my fortress and my deliverer my god is my rock in whom i take refuge my shield and the horn of my salvation my stronghold i call to the lord who is worthy of praise And I've been saved from my enemies. Would you pray with me? Father, how thankful we are that um, our faith is imperfect. We are so imperfect. Father, we are so absolutely needy. But how thankful we are that we are not alone. We have a God who is strong and a God who is wise. A God who is ever-present and watching over us we have a God who loves us and is merciful towards us. Father, help us to remember. Help us not to turn to lesser things when we should be turning to you. In your blessed name, amen.